Well, my brothers and sisters, this homily today, we've got a little bit of, I feel like, oh, the gravity is pulling me this way here, all the people over here. This, this homily today will be a complement to uh, what I preached last week on the other uh, side of the cluster. I talked there about the emotion of anger and how we need to manage that emotion, especially in relation to forgiveness of our neighbor. And Jesus continues on in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, putting before us very, very challenging um, uh, precepts and exhortations, okay? So today I'll be focusing on love of neighbor, and um, I'm just going to be focusing on Leviticus. Now, um, who's, who has recently read Leviticus? What, what's going on? You did? Oh, good for you, good. No, but isn't it, it's just ironic that the second most important commandment is taken from a book that's it's very obscure, very difficult book. Most people haven't read it. Shows you how sacred scripture is, is hiding for us just these important, important gems. And it's all over. And, uh, so this is really the background text of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is, is this, this passage from Leviticus. So it begins with this, and we hear it in our first reading. You shall not bear hatred for your brother or sister in your hearts. Okay, wow. Don't bear hatred. Hatred is a really big deal. St. Alphonsus Liguri says that hatred is one of the four. He uses this very strong image. He says it's one of the four gates of hell. Okay? So of all the sins that people commit, there's going to be popular ones, basically. The four most popular ones that, you know, cause us to lose our salvation. One of them is hatred. And I think in our common everyday experience, okay, it's just the human condition. We've got lots of opportunities to rub shoulders with each other and to give offense and take offense. And so hatred is something that is very, comes easy to us. Okay, it's very common. It's not uncommon. That's for sure. So now if you've got hatred in your heart, I think the best way to get rid of it is to vent it. Right? And to go to your neighbor, to go to the third party, not to the person who offended you, and just talk as much as you possibly can bad things about the person behind their back. Isn't that right? Isn't that the best way to deal with it? <laughs> okay. We've all tried that, right? And it, it doesn't work too well, all right? So venting, it's not like anger is like this gas that's in your heart, and when you let it out, it disappears. Actually, it's like throwing fuel on the fire, Okay. So it, is, it makes it worse. It makes it worse. And then our text goes on. It's very interesting. Though you may have to reprove your fellow citizen, do not incur sin because of him. Okay? So the, to add insult to injury, the irony of it is that if someone's kind of a jerk to you and they do something that's offensive and you take offense and you're angry, what happens sometimes is, you again, you go off and you commit the sin of what's called detraction. All right? And uh, you, you badmouth them to a third party. It's very common. So now you've incurred sin because of them, right? <laughs> Not only have you been offended, but now you're committing a sin. Huh? doesn't make any sense. And so that's what this text is saying. Do not incur sin because of him. So therefore, you might have to reprove him. All right? Now, what, what I always counsel people, and I live up to this. In fact, I had an incident just recently, and I kind of, <laughs> if, if, if I were to give myself a, a grade on how well I passed that test, I'd probably give myself like a, a little bit of a C, maybe a C plus. <laughs> okay. I didn't do too well on it, but it is something that I try to practice as much as possible. And it's something I counsel people as I say, you, you know, let the anger 
die right where it was born. And if you can't do that, guess what you got to do? Go directly to the person. Okay? And a lot of people will say to me, oh, I don't know. If I, I, I don't think I can do that, Father. I don't know. <laughs> so that's very, it's very difficult. But what happens, and probably many of us have experienced this, okay, uh, is when you have that vulnerability to go right to the person, it's a real act of love. And, you know, you don't want to attack them. You, this is what you did to me. Okay. All right. That probably would be better than doing it to someone else, right? Okay. But it's not ideal. The better way, and a lot of counselors will just, a little piece of advice, a lot of counselors give this advice as you go. And, you know, you don't attack the person per se. You say, when you did this particular thing, okay, I felt like X, Y, and Z. All right. And that way you're kind of making it about your own self and your own emotions. And it's really an act of great vulnerability. It's really a cruciform act. Look at our Lord, you know, how, how vulnerable he was on the cross. And that's what you're doing. It's a very Christian thing to do. And uh, oftentimes, I certainly have experienced this many times when I've had the courage to do this. Oftentimes, you actually bond with that person and you're closer to them after the offense than you were before the offense. And so the offense then almost becomes like a happy occasion of bonding. And there's actually, you're closer to that person. Okay, very few people, if you say to them, you know, when you did this, I felt like X, Y, and Z are going to be like, well, so what? Get out of my face. Very few people are going to do that. They're going to be humble themselves because they're seeing that this is a great act of humility on your part, and you'll be able to communicate. And more often than not, you'll find the offense that was given that was taken as a matter of perception and mistake and thoughtlessness more so than, you know, deliberate malice, Okay. So this is a very profound and important text. Though you may have to reprove your fellow citizen, do not incur sin because of him. It goes on, take no revenge and cherish no grudge against any of your people. Take no revenge. My brothers and sisters, I think if we want to truly be disciples of Jesus, this is something that really will demarcate us as disciples of Jesus, is the not taking of revenge. How common is it for people to take revenge, to want to take revenge and to actually take revenge? Very, very common. So it really distinguishes a Christian from the rest when we're, when we refrain from taking revenge. Last Sunday, I talked about a movie that I saw recently, which I highly recommend. It's called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And it's about Fred Rogers. Uh, who has seen, who has anybody seen it? Okay. Really excellent movie. You know, I like a movie that when I walk away from it, I feel like I want to be a better person. You know, and there's very few movies that do that for me, but this was one of them. So I'm a little bit of a movie snob. Pretty much every movie I see, I think it stinks. So uh, like my A-list of movies has got like maybe eight movies on it or something. I got about 20 or so on my B-list. But, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a movie snob, but that's part of it. But part of it is that I see the, the theme of revenge so much in movies. Just um, recently I was thinking about, I was remembering a time I rewatched as an adult this movie I saw when I was a kid is called um, The Last of the Mohicans. It's an early 90s movie with Daniel Day-Lewis in it. And, uh, you know, in the movie, you've got this, this uh, Indian. It's set in the French and Indian War in the mid-18th century. And you've got this Indian who's the bad guy. His name is Magua. He's a Huron Indian. And his whole character has been corrupted because he's bent on revenge. Someone did something to his family when he was young. And he's lived his whole life bent on wanting to get revenge on the British colonel that did this thing and his and the British colonel's children and so forth and so on. 
So his whole character is totally corrupted, and he's this really evil guy because of this desire for revenge. And that, that comes out clear in the movie. But the scriptwriters mess the whole thing up because at the very end, the hero gets revenge too. And it just ruins the whole thing. There's another Indian figure who is the, the last of the Mohicans. Uh, Chinyachguk is his name. And he's got two sons. One son's a biological son. The other son's the adopted son, Hawkeye. It's played by Daniel Day-Lewis. But, you know, they're, they're, the good guys are chasing down Magua at the end, and they're, you know, going to save this damsel in distress, and it's all fine and good, very, very exciting. You know, okay, go ahead, go save them, you know, get the bad guys. And then what happens is uh, Chinyaguk's son gets killed, Magua kills him, and then the damsel in distress that they're, that they're going after, she dies too, unfortunately. And so... There's no real reason to actually continue pursuing these guys. All right? That rational objective or end of saving this, this young woman's life is no longer present. Or what do they do? Chases the bad guy down, kills him. You know? And it's really a lost moment in the movie. You know, you get a cheap thrill like, yeah, the bad guy got his own, you know? But what happens is that the good guys are just like the bad guys. You know? Someone hurt their family. The bad guy's family got hurt, so he's bent on revenge. Well, guess what? Same thing happens to the good guy. <laughs> you know, his family gets, you know, gets hurt and he wants to get revenge. It's really sad. Really, really sad. And that's what Jesus is talking about in the gospel when he says, if you greet your brother, what credit is that to you? Okay? What, what, what are you doing that's anything special more, though, than any other person would do? All right? And so Christ is calling us to a love that is absolutely universal for all people, regardless of if they're part of our tribe or our nation or our family, but it's a love for all human beings. Now, the text in Leviticus goes on and says, cherish no grudge. This is kind of a funny phenomenon psychologically that you, you know, the word cherish, if you listen to it or think about it, it's a, it's a really special word. Cherish is to treasure, is to treat something as, as a, very precious, special thing. And you can actually love and, and treat as a treasure and precious and special some kind of nasty, evil feeling in your heart. Isn't that weird that you can love something nasty and evil in you? And it reminds me a little bit of the psychology of addiction. So the drug addict, kind of a more of a superficial understanding of the drug addict's mind is that he's addicted to the high that the drug gives him. Uh, and the crash, you know, after, after the high goes away, he crashes. He doesn't like that, so he goes, he goes to the drug again to get the high. But actually, a more adequate and accurate psychology of addiction would uh, perceive more, more truly that he's addicted to both the high and the low. He actually is addicted to the crash as well. He likes the difference between the two. He's attached and addicted to the drama of the up and the down and the up and the down. And so often it is, too, with cherishing a, a grudge in our heart, we actually like the misery of, of, of the being offended. We actually like that. We're, we're, we're in love with that, and we cherish that in our hearts, as well as the sweet relief of getting revenge in whatever manner that is. You know? And social media really exacerbates this. Really, really exacerbates this. And kids today are learning to basically take revenge 
oh, this person said something like this on, on Facebook and I'm going to get back at them. I'm going to do whatever it might be, you know. And my buddies and I, we're going to gang up on them and they talk about, you know, what is it, uh, social media um, uh, gang ups basically where pile on, everybody comments on someone's post and you've got 50,000 comments that say, oh, you're a jerk, what do you say? And it's so stupid, da 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 you know. So through our movies, through social media, we're teaching people about revenge. And our Lord is calling, calling us to a path that's very, very different. And it distinguishes us as his disciples, as Christians, as true Christians. And then finally, he says, uh, the passage in Leviticus says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what Christ quotes in his uh, Sermon on the Mount. To love your neighbor as yourself. There's two things going on here. First of all, it presupposes love of oneself. Okay, and that's really important. Now, when we love ourselves truly, what we're doing is we don't love our fancy car. We don't love our new haircut or whatever it is. Okay, we love our soul. We love the most spiritual inner core of ourself. Okay, because that is where the image of God resides. And that is where we participate in God's Goodness. So it doesn't matter if we're comatose. It doesn't matter if we're a fetus. It doesn't matter if we are, you know, in a wheelchair. It doesn't matter because we are made in God's image and we participate in His goodness and therefore deserve love. And we should love ourselves after loving God. And then we extend that same courtesy to our neighbor. Our neighbor as well participates in God's goodness because they've been made in His image. Now, it's very, I think, psychologically astute and helpful and important to discern things in people's lives for which they deserve respect, to, to kind of highlight those, find those, discern those, and then give that respect to them for whatever that excellence or achievement it is that they have. But above and beyond this idea of giving respect because they deserve it, there is simply the unconditional love that we give to people simply because they're made in God's image. And when you do that to someone, it really sets someone free. When you give that to someone, it really sets them free. Um, I'm reminded again, going about the Fred Rogers of this movie that I think is a really nice movie, um, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. It's a story about a guy who wants to get revenge on his father because his father did something nasty to his mother when he was a child. And he's struggling with this and he can't forgive his father. And with the help of Fred Rogers, he's able to, to be reconciled with his father. It's a very, very nice movie, very beautiful movie. But Fred Rogers was known for, when he spoke to people, uh, being really, really present to them. He had amazing eye contact. And he, he was just really there with the person, whoever it was that he was speaking to. He treated them as if they were the center of his universe in that moment when he was speaking to them. He was known for that. And he said, I'm talking to you right now. This is what he was known for saying. So right now, you are the most important person to me. Isn't that beautiful? And that's what our neighbor is. You know, the word neighbor means one who is near. So right now, you're nearest to me. Okay? And you're worthy of that unconditional love. And uh, you're the center of my world. Okay? And whoever is near to you in the concrete moment, that is your neighbor. And that's the person that you should love and and hold dear, <clears throat> dear and cherish. So my brothers and sisters, if we want to be perfect like Christ in our gospel tells us to be, and if we want to be holy 
like our text from Leviticus exhorts us to be. This is, this is what we got to do. This is the love of neighbor that we as Christians are called to. And it what, it's what makes us distinct from, from, uh, from the rest, from the rest of the world. So let's do that.